Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are continuing our series today called Kingdom Culture, and uh, we are... Uh, this is a series that we're doing on having a biblical worldview. Uh, our lead pastor, our senior pastor, Pastor Jacob Aranza, really felt like the Lord wanted us to focus uh, as a as a church, all five campuses, focus on the same topic for this month. It's not something we typically do, um, but felt like it was really important for us uh, as a church to get a to understand what a biblical worldview is. And, uh, and so that's what this series, uh, Kingdom Culture, is all about. Again, this is week three. Uh, a worldview is not only uh, what we see, but how we see things, right? A worldview is the way we see ourselves, the way we see one another, as well as everything that happens in the world around us. And let me just remind you what we've said all three weeks, and that is this. Everyone has a worldview, but not everyone has a biblical worldview. Everybody's got a worldview. The way you see politics, that's your worldview. Uh, You see it through the lens of your worldview. How you see finances and family and all those things, you're seeing them through the lens of your worldview. But we're taking this month to say that the word should really determine our worldview. That as believers in Christ, our worldview shouldn't be based on just what we feel or what we think or what's right in the moment, that our worldview should be based on the eternal word of God. Because right here, we have the word of God, we have the principles of God, right? We have the commands of God, and the, the word of God should determine our worldview. So in this series, we're looking at four scenes from the Bible that will help us see the world the way God sees the world. The first week, we talked about creation. Uh, We went to Genesis chapter 1, and we looked at creation. Last week, we went to Genesis chapter 3, and we looked at the fall. Uh, We looked at how sin entered into the world. Today, we're talking about redemption. And then next week, we're talking about the new creation or what is to come. And so it's so important for us to see ourselves and the world through the lens of Scripture. And in doing so, we will see things the way they they really are. Listen, God's Word tells us the truth. It's a full-length mirror. God's Word is literally a mirror that shows us who we really are. If you go to the book of James, chapter 1, you'll see that James says that the Bible is a mirror that we should look in to compare ourselves with who we are versus who God created us to be. He says, you don't look in a mirror and then make no changes. You know how it is. You wake up in the morning. You went to bed all pretty. You wake up in the morning. You're like, dear God, what happened in the night? Right? For those of you unfortunate people who have hair, it's like an explosion in a mattress factory. And you're like, how did this happen? (laughs) But you don't look at yourself and go, this is bad. I'm going to work. No, you do something about it, right? 
And so it is with the word of God. When we look into the word of God and we see who we were created to be, but then we see ourselves as we are, it should cause us to examine ourselves, to make some changes, to make some fresh commitments, to do better, to to begin to take the principles that we see here and apply them to our lives. Because our creator, God, knows best about the purpose of his creation. Right? God is our creator. We are his creation. And he created us for purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, again, we saw what was right in the world. In Genesis chapter 3, we saw what was wrong in the world as sin entered into the world. Remember this. God created the world as very good. Sin was never God's plan. Divorce was never God's plan. Abuse was never God's plan. Trauma was never God's plan. That came as a result of sin. That came as a result of man saying, I know what God said to do, but I'm going to do my own thing. Right? And that's when sin entered into our world. And with sin came death and destruction. It all went down when Adam made the decision to rebel against God and death and destruction have been our norm ever since. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever read the, 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 the beginning of Genesis and, and looked at the fact that Adam and Eve were in the garden? It was basically utopia. Everything was perfect. God was so good. He said, this entire place is yours except for one tree. And that's what they ate from. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I was there, I would have done what was right. Listen, Adam couldn't pass up the tree and I can't pass up meshes. It's all the same struggle. <laughs> right? It's all the same struggle. Listen, you, sometimes we can't even keep our own laws versus God's laws. Right? Much less God's laws. Man, if I... I Leading into this year, I made some serious New Year's resolutions. If I had kept those resolutions, I'd have been looking so fine right now. I tell you, y'all have been like, dear God, that is a specimen right there. I, but I don't keep my own laws. I break my own laws. I'm like, this is what's good for me. So this is what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm going to do something different. Right? We know things that are the, the best thing for us to do. And at times we make a commitment to do them, and then we break our own laws. The Bible says that we are born in Adam with Adam's sin nature. We're born in Adam. We're born in sin. We're born into trouble. If we took a field trip right now to the nursery, we would see you don't have to teach kids to sin. They know how to do that. I mean, these kids that we dedicated to the Lord this morning were so cute. But I promise you their moms threatened the life out of them before they got here. <laughs> but if we went to the nursery this morning, we would see kids going mine and taking things and stealing things. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? It never happened with my kids, but I know y'all's kids. That's a whole different story. Listen, we're all fallen. And we're all in need of Redemption. So the title of our message today is The Price is Right. The Price is Right. We started this sermon series in the book of Genesis, but today 
we're going to go jump over to the New Testament book of Romans, where Paul talks about God's plan to redeem us from the fall of Adam. Just for context, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans on his third missionary journey from Corinth around 57 AD, which was almost 30 years after Jesus died on the cross. In this letter, Paul provides us a clear explanation of what is, what is wrong with the world and how God is out to make it right again. After a greeting, Paul writes these following words in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. He says this, he says, I am under, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let me read that again. Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, far faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul could not preach, could not wait to preach the gospel in Rome because he knew that the, the, he knew the power of the gospel was available to transform people's lives. So he was excited about preaching the gospel. And you probably already know this, but the gospel simply means the good news, right? The gospel is the good news of how we were broken and what God has done to redeem us back to himself. Listen, just so you understand, every one of us in this room are in need of redemption, right? Listen, one sin makes you a sinner. One sin makes you a sinner. Just like one murder makes you a murderer. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that when we sin even once, that the wages of sin is death. That there is a price to pay for sin, and that price is death. Sin keeps us from God. But Jesus stepped in in order to pay for our sin. Have you ever been <coughs> at a restaurant? <coughs> Excuse me. Have you ever been at a restaurant and it came time for the bill and you're like, check, check, you know, that's the universal language, check. And they walk over and they go, hey, someone's paid your bill. Have you ever had that happen? I've had that happen a few times. I've also been at restaurants where you were eating and it didn't happen, but for whatever. <laughs> um, but I've had it happen. I have had it happen a few times where uh, somebody picked up our check and it was kind of, it was awesome, right? And I'll tell you where we're going to lunch today in case you're wondering. Um, but somebody picked up and it's kind of like, wait, we ate the food, but they paid for it. Listen, that's the good news of the gospel. You committed the sin, but Jesus paid the bill. You, may, you committed the sin, but Jesus paid the price. People want to talk about hell and how can a just God send people to a hell. Listen to me. Hell isn't a place for people God is mad at. 
Hell is a place for people who refuse to let Jesus pay their bill. Hell is a place for people who refuse to let Jesus pay their bill. Jesus paid the price. But they chose to pay for it on their own. They chose to reject the payment that was made on their behalf as if they could pay for it on their own. So it's the good news. Because it announces what God has done and what God continues to do through Jesus Christ. Paul said he was not ashamed of the gospel because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. What's the righteousness of God? Well, the righteousness of God is God's commitment to do whatever is necessary to make things right again. God's commitment to do whatever is necessary to make things right again, even if it meant the death of his own son. Paul said it is revealed from faith for faith. That is from the beginning to the end. Faith means believing that God alone will make things in the right in the world again. So Paul wants us to know today the good news, the good news of the gospel. But before he talks in more detail about the good news, he literally spends almost three chapters. You can go read uh, Romans uh, 5, 6, 7, 8. He spends three chapters talking about the bad news. It's almost like he's telling us how bad it is before he tells us how good God is, right? In fact, it's the bad news that helps us appreciate the good news. Paul says in chapters 2 and 3 that both the Jews and the Gentiles are under sin. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses, starting at verse 9. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their, pla- in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Listen, this sounds very bleak. He's saying everyone has separated themselves from God. Paul is thinking about all humanity, both Jews and Gentiles. You and me, we're all under a curse of sin. We're born in Adam under the power of the sin nature that came as a result of Adam's choice. We are deeply infected and deeply affected by sin. Paul's point is this. In the courtroom of God, we're all guilty before God. Sin's not just something we do. It is in our nature. And maybe you're here today and you would say, well, I'm a good person. And I'm sure that's very true. But the Bible says that the best we can come up with is like the best righteousness we can do on our own is like filthy rags. 
But that's the best we can come up with on our own. That's why we can't forgive ourselves. We need a forgiver. We can't redeem ourselves. We need a redeemer. We can't save ourselves. We need a savior this morning, don't we? <clears throat> but remember, we're not all as sinful as we could be. Throughout history, very few people were as bad as Adolf Hitler. And very few people were as good as Mother Teresa. But even Mother Teresa needed Jesus. We're not equally sinful, yet every one of us has fallen and in need of redemption. And this is what Paul is trying to communicate to us today. So let's talk about what is redemption. Redemption means, Lion Duncan said this, he said, Redemption means to secure the release or recovery of persons or things by the payment of a price. It means to buy back. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He bought us back. We're sold as slaves to sin. The whole world is in bondage to the power of sin and will suffer the penalty of sin unless we are liberated from someone who is willing to pay the price for our freedom and thank God Jesus was willing. So Paul goes on in Romans chapter 3, two very important words. He just told us how bleak it was, and then he said this, But now, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Listen, <coughs> excuse me. The scripture is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was very contractual. It was all about the law, that if you did this, the penalty was this, Right? But then Jesus showed up on the scene and all of a sudden it went from law to grace. And now through the power of Jesus Christ, this is not about a contract. This is about a relationship, right? This is about someone who loves us, gave himself for us and wants what's best for us. You know how it is. If you're dealing with somebody else's kids, like you can be you know, you can be all logical. But then when it comes to your own kids, you're like, or maybe you're just the opposite. Maybe, I don't know. My kids are good, so it's, it's all good. But, you know, somebody else's kids, you're like, that kid needs, that kid needs some, some discipline. Then it comes to your own, you're like, oh, baby, it's all good. It's all good. You'll get a better report card next time, right? And so in, in, in the Old Testament, it was all logic. It was all law. It was all, it was all, it was all a contract. But in the New Testament, with the grace of Jesus Christ, it's about relationship. Here's what you need to know. Under the law, 
you get what you deserve. But under grace, you get what you don't deserve. That's the difference. Under the law, you get what you deserve. But under grace, with Jesus Christ, you get what you don't deserve. This is good news since we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all missed the mark. And Jesus is our divine standard of righteousness. But if we're honest, we all know that at times we fall short of God's glory because of our sin nature. We're just born that way. We miss the mark. This is us. We fall short of God's perfect standard. Listen, by nature and by choice. If you go to Romans chapter 7, you'll read the Apostle Paul say this. What I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I know I shouldn't do, I find myself doing. Does that sound like you? Sounds like me, right? And we all fall short of God's glory, God's perfect standard, sometimes by nature, but sometimes by choice. The good news is this is that all who believe are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Adam, we're sold as slaves to sin. But Jesus, the second Adam, came to liberate us from the penalty of sin. He literally paid the price of our redemption with his very own blood. And the Bible says that when we say yes to Jesus, that we are justified which means God declares that we are right in his sight. Someone once said that word justified, when you say yes to Jesus, it's justified, never sinned, right? That the blood of Jesus can cleanse you and it's justified, never sinned because that's the power of the good news of the gospel. Romans chapter three, verses 23 says this, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Not in ourselves, in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement. This means that Jesus' blood provided cleansing for our sin and removed the barrier that kept us from God. Here's the problem. God is just and cannot just let sinners go free without compromising his righteousness. But listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He said, for our sake, him, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, the only person who ever lived perfect, a perfect life, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this allows God to both be just and justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Here's the problem, is that so many of us grew up in traditional religion that said we had to pay for our own sins. That we had to pay for our own sins, that we had to do enough good or more good than bad. We had to make up for the bad we did. Listen to me, you're not good enough to pay for your own sin. It's not even found in scripture. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
He didn't say go and say enough prayers or go and give enough money to the church or go and help enough poor people. No, he just simply said this, that forgiveness is not found in and of ourselves and our good works. It is found in Christ and Christ alone. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's simply saying this. Just because there is grace and just because there is forgiveness doesn't mean we continue in sin. No, when we really walk in a healthy relationship with God, we do what's right, not because we have to, but because we choose to. We're not only saved from the penalty and the power of sin, but we're also saved for the presence and purposes of God. God brought us out so that he can take us into a life that Jesus died to provide for us. It doesn't matter how sinful you are today. Because some of us look at ourselves and go, I'm a good person. And then others look at, our, look at themselves and go, I'm terrible. It doesn't matter where you rate yourself. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. John Newton, who was a slave owner who eventually came to Jesus... And wrote the song that we sang just a little bit ago, Amazing Grace. In his 80s, he said this. He said, although my memory is fading, two things I remember very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Today, I don't know your story, but I know this. Jesus is a great redeemer. You know, maybe if you you and I were to sit down you would have questions for me on scriptural things, maybe some things that you don't understand about scripture and we would talk back and forth and maybe we would have a difference of opinion and maybe I couldn't answer all your questions and that's okay. But let me tell you what I do know. I grew up right here in Lafayette. I have six brothers and sisters. I'm the second and cutest the second to youngest and cutest of seven. <clears throat> and when I was six years old, my father, my father was an only child and he was extremely, extremely selfish. And when I was six years old, my, my mom kicked him out. My dad was an alcoholic and he was a chain smoker and he was a gambler. And my mom had finally had enough. And she literally, with seven children, kicked my dad out of the house and filed for divorce. My dad was a salesman on the road for Schick Razor Company. And my dad was a mess. And one night in Mississippi on a snowy night, he got in a terrible car accident. The other man was actually killed. And my dad ended up in a hospital for a couple of months in Mississippi and When he was being released, he had nowhere to go. And he called my mom and he said, can I just come home until I get better? And she said, I'll let you come home. But as soon as you recuperate, you have to leave. I'm done. And he agreed. What my mom didn't know was that while my dad was in that hospital in Mississippi, a Catholic chaplain walked in one day and looked at my dad and said, you really need Jesus. 
And my dad's response to him was, I go to church every week, I'm good. And that little chaplain looked at my dad and said, I didn't ask you about what church, where you go to church or how often. I told you what you need is Jesus. And that day, my dad made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And from that day, when I was around seven years old, to the day my dad died several years ago, my dad never touched alcohol, nicotine, or gambled again. God did something radical in my dad. And so when he came home to recover, all of a sudden my mom saw a totally different person. Instead of being selfish, he was grateful. Instead of being demanding, he was gracious. And my mom realized that God had done what only God could do. My mom canceled the divorce. My mom gave her heart to Jesus. And eventually all seven of us have served in full-time ministry because God's a redeemer. And we may be able to debate scripture and theology, and, but you can't debate my story because it's my story. I knew what my family was and I know who we are today and it is because of Jesus. And can I just tell you, sitting around you, mine's just one story in this room. Sitting around you is plenty of other stories in this room of people who could stand up just like me and go, there was brokenness and then God stepped in and look at what God has done. Because that's what redemption is. That's what the cross provided. It's always so interesting to me when people say if God was fair and if God was good, he wouldn't let me go through hardship. Can I just remind you that most people come to Jesus through hardship? Because sometimes we don't turn to Jesus until we have nowhere else to turn. And God will do whatever it takes to simply get you to a place where you say yes to him. Remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son takes his inheritance early and he goes and he squanders it all on sinful living. And the Bible says this Jewish boy ended up in a pig pen eating the same slop as the pigs. And the Bible said in that moment he came to himself and said, the servants have it better at my dad's house. Can I just tell you, God's willing to let us get to a pig pen if that's what it takes to get our attention because that's how much he loves us. So I don't know your story today, but I do know a redeemer and his name is Jesus. I don't know your trouble today, but I do know a savior. you bow your heads just bow your heads right where you are your heads are bowed your eyes are closed and I don't know your story but I'm sure that there are some in this room who would say I need a relationship with Jesus I've made a mess of things on my own and I need a redeemer I need a savior 
I can't pull myself out. I can't forgive myself. I need a redeemer. I'm going to ask you very simply. Do you want to say yes to Jesus? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, religion makes it difficult to get to Jesus, but God doesn't because God wants a relationship with you. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says this. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead, and you confess with your mouth him as Savior, again, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. If you're here, I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. (coughs) Excuse me. I am going to ask you this. If you're here today and you say, I need Jesus, I need a relationship with Jesus, I just want you to lift your hand and put it right back down right where you are. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All over this room, thank you. Thank you. I I want to do this. I want to pray a prayer. And I simply want you to repeat this prayer after me. And I'm going to ask every believer in this room to repeat this prayer in support of those who lifted their hands today. Listen, the salvation isn't in this prayer. I'm just helping you to articulate what God is doing in your heart right now. Can we pray together? Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe that you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all of my heart. No matter what it costs me, I declare that God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.